You might be able to lock down society, but you can never lock down the mind. You found it. The Japan What Podcast. Shouting hot air to the back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Bigelow. And I'm Tom Maleski. We bring you the inner workings of Japan with an outsider's perspective and zero insight. Zero insight indeed, my friends. You know what else you can't lock down? This is an insight-free zone. Yeah. And coronavirus. Yes. You can't lock down insight. You can't, <laughs> you can't lock down insight. I like it. <laughs> yep. The insight lockdown. Can't happen. <laughs> Especially with our negative insight rates. There were policemen patrolling the streets holding signs saying, no insight, please. Yep. Six feet of social distancing from every non-insight you find. <laughs> So how has life been treating you? Are you still over? Well, actually, how was Golden Week? Uh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking to a very simple regimen because uh, okay. uh, I'm waiting for work to come in. I'm getting a, a sure. reduced pay. Yep. Um, h- however, you know, uh, I don't know when that's going to be. So I just right, I wake up in the morning, I sit outside and watch videos, and then I make oh. lunch, and then I... Okay. Then I watch videos, and then I go for a walk, and mm-hmm. I watch videos, and then I come home and watch videos. Well, what kind of videos are you watching? I think everybody wants to know this. Well, um, a lot of them are AI, uh, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, and I'm also increasingly interested in um, – I've been listening to a lot of London Real, mm-hmm. and okay. I've been listening to a lot of uh, wherever I can find – um, retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding the Third, uh, Junior, whatever his name. Okay. Is. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Listening to him a lot, and I I downloaded his Audible book um, called uh, Stealth War, and I've been getting oh, wow. into okay. that. And it's uh, about how the the subtitle is, you know, this guy's a guy who flew the the B two bombers, the ones that can't be seen. Right. Okay. So yeah. He was a B two bomber pilot. Wow. Okay. Um. And he was an attaché in China, and uh, he's talking about how how far China's tentacles are, are inside of the United States' media, politics, influencing spheres, and um, businesses, all, and, and everything like that. It's it's a fascinating book. It's it's non political as well. So, do you think it was kind of what everybody was saying about Russia when the that investigation was going on, but it's actually China? Yeah, mm, but I see. But yeah. the Chinese business interests are so entangled that nobody can talk about them without exposing themselves as some sort of compromised <laughs> Chinese agent, de facto, oh, wow. you know, by proxy. My God! So you're really in—you've been quite productive. See, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was studying, thinking, I'm like, studying. when you said you were watching videos. That's great. Um, when you said watching videos, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been watching uh, tri- movie trivia game shows and um, reaction videos with an 80-year-old grandmother trying food from another country. And I'm like, oh, no, I, not, not not similar at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep up with the, the dystopia. How about you? I, uh, I can't. The more I get involved in that, the more I'm just ready to jump off the roof of my house, which is only a couple stories, so I'd probably survive it. Um, but uh, yeah, is this I, a I cry can't. for help. It, perhaps my life has been a cry for help. That's how I look at it. Mm. Um, uh, I've I've actually been working quite a bit, which is uh, 
actually kind of brought my move, mood up where it usually doesn't. But um, working, at least I feel like I'm doing something. Um, I'm also on a couple online courses I think I mentioned before, um, one on social media and uh, one on just uh, illustration. Um, I'm working on one. They said uh, go to a flea market and take a picture of something and try and take some elements of it, a few different things and come up with your own creation. So I'm working on that art project right now. Um, and, uh, then I, I figured I'm, I'm going to just try and listen to a new album at, uh, at least one a week. So, uh, this time, uh, a friend of mine, quite a bit younger than me who goes to dance clubs a lot said, uh, you should check out this, uh, rapper, Megan, the stallion. And I was like, all right, why not? Let's see what it's like. Um, and I actually enjoyed it. I uh, I listened to I, one of the I think maybe the newest album, Sugar, and um, I uh, I've noticed a change in my listening habit. How I approach a lot of new singers and performers um, with the music itself and fear. No, well, that's how I mean. I was like, let me try and go against type. Okay, let let me not be a typical cantankerous grumpy saying, oh, the music was better in my time kind of listener. And uh, I was like, okay, this this reminds me a lot of, of kind of it's throwback to like um, uh, female rap artists like uh, Little Kim, Foxy Brown was one, um, and uh, MC Light a little bit. And so just listening to it, I was like, oh yeah, okay, this this sounds really familiar. And it's not kind of that mumble rap which I'm not really into. But I can't now before I would listen to a song just uh, the like on the radio and then I'd see the video and the video would always enhance the um, appeal uh, for that song. Nowadays, I can't watch the videos for a lot of these. I watch the videos and it's kind of an eye roll. And it's just like, and it's, again, it's for the time. It's right. kind of appealing to a, a demographic that's not my age. But I'm like, yeah, okay. So they rented all these things. They rented all these costumes. You're not really living that lifestyle, kind of. A lot of you these younger, have a, yeah. A lot of these younger rappers have a lot of face tattoos and things like that. Yeah, it's um, like you don't really I saw, have. A I saw a picture of like a, a meme, and it, it had yeah. a picture of like a, a desk from a high school with a bunch of doodles on it, and then a yeah, picture yeah, yeah. of a rapper from 2020. It's like these two are the same. <laughs> it wasn't Takashi. What six nine was? I don't. Or think even so. well, like, like Post Malone. You know, mm. who I actually think is a pretty good musician. So, um, yeah. So um, surprisingly, I enjoyed it. I listened to it again. Um, and just to kind of balance it off, I listened to an old B fifty twos album that I hadn't heard. Um, Bouncing off the satellites. Um, they're a great which, band, B fifty two. They really are, um, and they're good party band too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I listened to this. This album's from like nineteen eighty six, but um, yeah. Uh, actually, the layers that they put in with like two female singers, a male speaker, um, you know, uh, and then a keyboardist as well as you know, bass guitar, uh, bass guitar and drums. Um, they really do have a really wide range of songs and some are jokey, but some are really straightforward, great rock music. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's um one of the singles I love is Girl from Ipanema Goes to Greenland. <laughs> I I highly recommend that song. That's a great one. Um, I've been also trying to get a hold of my handle on doing yeah. more at home music production during nice. Corona. Okay. Uh, uh yeah. getting some figuring more about EQ and compression and, mm. and as well as layering um oh, really? tracks nice. together. Uh, that so this is a song. I'm gonna play a song I did. So I did yeah. everything on this song. I, I wrote the song. I'm I'm quote unquote singing. I did the lyrics. I, I play the guitar. I recorded the guitar. I recorded the organs, the bass. I did the recording and the EQ. Everything from top to bottom. This is the best I could do, and uh, it's maybe okay. Here we go. This song is called. Let's hear it. I can't wait. Something I do. Awesome. Dragon for you. Talking nonstop to buddies and oh, but it does some you do. Talking nonstop to buddies and oh, but it does some you do. Play. 
and that was something I do, written and recorded and performed by yours truly, co-host awesome. of the Pamela Podcast. Now, this song actually <clears throat> made me think of three different songs by the Monkees. Yeah, I could see that. <clears throat> like the guitar reminded me of Last Train to Clarksville, and reminded. I, I, sure. I mean, yeah. And um, the keyboard reminded me a little bit of I'm a Believer. And um, the singing reminded me a little bit of this song called Listen to the Band. Um, it was uh, Mike Nesmith sang it, actually, in that one. And, um, yeah, I dug, and I was a huge Monkees fan, actually. Um, so I dug the song. Uh, this song is very major key, and it's very direct. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost, yeah, it is very Monkees-like. It's a, like a naive, somebody that's never had anything bad happen to them in their life. Well, I mean, the monkeys had like insanely good producers, you know, and and writers for their for their music. Cause, so, I mean, the, also when I say the monkeys, I mean, you know, the, I I mean good music. I don't mean like bubblegum music. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the monkeys were fine. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <man. laughs> it does sound like and, the monkeys. It is a bit of a throwback as well. No, and and I dig it. Now, I got a question for you. Did sure. you was this something that like some of the elements you had been working on for some time and you just kind of incorporated it during the week or did you start from scratch with this song? It's from scratch. Really? In oh, yeah. a week's time. Wow. Well, no, I, I wrote the song um, 13 years ago. Oh, OK. OK. And I recorded the drum tracks and the guitar tracks about a year ago. Oh, okay. All and right. then I came back to them because I studied a lot about EQ and compression and I applied what I learned to what I was recording. And uh, then I, I found a whole bunch of um, interesting uh, mm -hmm. sound files that you can do typing on with your keyboard in the oh, okay. Logic Pro. And this, so oh, then I, I added that. So it was like a very gradual... Layering. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of what I meant, though. I meant like it was something. Okay, you worked on the vocal track. You were inspired, you know, from uh, one time, and then the maybe the the guitar, the keyboards from a different track, and kind of incorporated them all um, this week. Yeah, that's basically yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Because uh, for me, something my creative process, like I'll start maybe drawing or writing something, and then I could put it away for years before I, I pull it out and use, uh, you know, use it in a piece or uh, a piece of artwork. Uh, it, it, it's the timing. There's no predictor on that for me personally when in the artistic process. For me, I wrote the, sometimes I, I, when I did used to do more singer songwriter stuff, yeah. that, that person is dead in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> When I used to do that, I, I would try to write songs that would be a little bit more complex and then write songs that would be easier to perform so that when you're putting together a 45-minute set, two or three of the songs, which would be you know 25 to 30% of the set, would be relatively easy to play and you could fit in a solo in there, no problem. Right, yeah. So then the other members of the band aren't being stressed to learn the songs. They can they ah, can okay. lean back a little bit and and let rip just with a three yep. three chord you know one's a seventh chord um, song uh, and the audience generally you know whatever um, they don't know the difference so much usually between a difficult song and an easy song if you're just at a pub or, oh, yeah, or yeah. if it's uh, an easier song sandwiched between two difficult songs so it just makes yeah, yeah. it uh, easier to handle from putting up a, a set list together. 
Yeah, that's something I think the audience kind of doesn't appreciate. And I think sometimes, um, you know, you have a very heavy layered song. Sometimes you just want a, a lighter kind of poppier track in between. You, you don't necessarily want like start to finish all music like that, even though that takes the most work. I think people do want to kick back a little bit and have something. Oh, this sounds very hooky, very familiar kind of. That's how Johnny Cash yeah. got his comeback. Um, he uh -huh. talked about that. He's he he found himself in a position where he was just a voice, and then the production company handled everything else. Yeah, and he was talking to the owner of American Records or something like that, and he said, "I just want to strip down sound, just like me in a room with a few people." And the guy was like, "Okay," mm -hmm. and then they yeah. they went with that, and then Johnny Cash got his his second comeback at the end of the '90s, beginning of the the aughts that way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that I mean, uh, there's there's a place for that. It seems like no matter where a band goes after a while, um, the fans are going to want something a little different or a little change would be refreshing. Or there's too many managers that flock into the, the wake of somebody's success. Sure. That's there's that, too. Yeah. Um, Lampreys can't cover the blood yeah. or the gills of a shark. Well, if you try to cover every point that you know, this fans have liked at, at one point of time in time or another, you're going to spread yourself so thin that your music will be, you know, it, it be indistinguishable from like a modern, like a pop top 40 pop hit on, on the radio, you know, yeah, like that. So, so I've been listening to the Unabomber. Wow. What a transition. <laughs> and, uh, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, uh, yes, really okay. interesting guy. Um, Speaking of music managers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Theodore John Kaczynski was born in 1942. Okay. He was an American domestic terrorist, an anarchist, yeah. and a mathematics professor. Yeah, He was yeah. a mathematics prodigy, um, but he got tired of technology mm. and he decided to just go live in the woods. Um, but as yeah, a sophomore, Kaczynski participated in a study described uh, as purposely brutalizing psychological experiment led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray. These encounters were filmed and subjects' expressions of anger and rage were later played back to them repeatedly. The experiment lasted three years, uh, with somebody verbally abusing and humiliating Kaczynski each week. Kaczynski spent 200 hours as part of the study. And some sources have suggested that Murray's experiments were part of um, Project MK Ultra, which was the CIA mind control. Um, oh God! Yeah, uh, you know, a program where they gave people huge amounts of LSD and tried to reprogram their minds to create assassins without any um, fingerprints on them. Yeah, actually, um, it's amazing what you can program someone to do. Um, I was actually watching a Darren Brown special, um, and he does. Um, at least uh, he does it more for entertainment purposes, I hope. But um, he did a special where he took people that were coming in, they thought, for a workshop. And um, he took like four of them and he more – I don't know brainwashing is the right word. But um, through like uh, subliminals and subconscious um, cues, um, got three of them to rob an armored truck. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was real. Like, I mean, all of it staged, all of it. As soon as they ran away with the money, there were people there that like kind of um, herded them away and then kind of quickly 
deprogrammed it. But social um, it media was, programs these types of things too, where you have yeah. somebody who wants to talk about freedom. Somebody yeah. says that person's a Nazi, and then they put a hashtag on it, and then forty thousand people two hours later will assemble to protest somebody. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, and Professor uh, Ted, uh, yeah. the Unabomber, he talks a lot about how technology is stronger than freedom and how the more we use technology, the less freedom we're going to have and independence we're going to have. Yeah, no, uh, well, he has a point. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm wondering why he participated in this if it was like that kind of abusive experimentation for that long i don't know some people are freaks um and they're interested in the mind or they're too heady and they don't understand getting your hands dirty i mean like actually putting your fingers in the ground and feeling dirt and stuff like that some of these academics with super high iqs um don't understand things like buckets you know so they, they end up participating in these very heady uh -huh. experiments but they don't understand the the, the tension on, on a physical object. Uh, sure, sure. And so, they, so I'm sorry, he was a student when he participated in this. Yeah, he was a student and then he became a professor and then he decided to live yeah. in the woods all alone. And write, no, I remember that. Yeah, and then he actually, would send yeah. bombs to people. He only killed a few people and injured a, a 23 more. He was not a very good bombist, uh, but he was a very interesting person. I have, um, so the way I was listening to this, his, his manifesto, was sure. with technology, if you remember, I yeah. uh, put the um, AI uh, reader right. for the blind, activated that on my smartphone, attached my right. Bluetooth headphones, and then on the mm -hmm. Washington Post um, website, I just clicked each paragraph, and then the AI would read. And from right. his manifesto, I have a two-minute clip. This is paragraph 175 that I thought yeah. was an interesting um, look at how this was written in the mid 80s to mid 90s i think around okay. that time and sure. this is um looking back on that from the perspective of 2020 i thought this paragraph paragraph 175 was okay. rather interesting and i'm playing it i recorded it from my bluetooth headphones feed so it sounds okay. like the ai voice so it's an ai voice telling okay. us about technology taking away our freedom are you ready okay yeah let's hear it 175. But suppose now that the computer scientists do not succeed in developing artificial intelligence, so that human work remains necessary. Even so, machines will take care of more and more of the simpler tasks so that there will be an increasing surplus of human workers at the lower levels of ability. We see this happening already. There are many people who find it difficult or impossible to get work, because for intellectual or psychological reasons they cannot acquire the level of training necessary to make themselves useful in the present system. On those who are employed, ever-increasing demands will be placed. They will need more and more training, more and more ability, and will have to be ever more reliable, conforming and docile, because they will be more and more like cells of a giant organism. Their tasks will be increasingly specialized, so that their work will be, in a sense, out of touch with the real world, being concentrated on one tiny slice of reality. The system will have to use any means that it can, whether psychological or biological, <clears throat> to engineer people to be docile, to have the abilities that the system requires and to sublimate their drive for power into some specialized task. But the statement that the people of such a society will have to be docile may require qualification. The society may find competitiveness useful, provided that ways are found of directing competitiveness into channels that serve the needs of the system. 
we can imagine a future society in which there is endless competition for positions of prestige and power. But no more than a very few people will ever reach the top, where the only real power is. See end of paragraph 163. Very repellent is a society in which a person can mm. satisfy his need for power only by pushing large numbers of other people out of the way and depriving them of their opportunity for power. Kill John mm. Lennon. Yeah, this already sounds like the subliminal messages. So <laughs> we got to watch it. You see, this is why I can't, <clears throat> excuse me, just constantly research like dystopian, uh, you know, potential dystopian outcomes because you you just get to this point of just complete like oh it's all futile you know like yeah you get so you can either it's either you want to lash out or you just get depressed as like why bother do anything there is that i don't i don't yeah. fall into that though because when i look yeah, at no. ted kaczynski it's like oh, what do i want what does he want me to do live in a shack and bomb people <clears> like that i'm not into that you know but those what he was saying there is very very true no i think everything he said is kind of on the mark um uh and if you if you know what's funny also if you constantly had this playing through your head you might go nuts if oh, you yeah. don't have enough distractions enough things to distract you from it that you're just constantly it keeps returning to your head you could easily go crazy you could easily become a terrorist i think Especially if you've had three years of intense psychological experimentation on you. <laughs> you know what? I, um, it strikes me a little bit. I'm wondering, like when I was in school and uh, I took a couple psychology courses, they actually required you to go into the labs and take part in um, in testing. And of course, what I did was nothing compared, was nothing like this. It was just a little bit, they, they kind of explained equipment and how they read brain waves and everything. But you had to go. You didn't really have a choice in the matter. So if I'm wondering if that was actually kind of enforced by the by the um, the professor. Or because he was such a math prodigy, um, they yeah. wanted to take control of his mind somehow in that time yeah. and uh, utilize him for some mysterious, you know, deep state operation, man. <laughs> well, I wonder about, uh, yeah, how he was compelled to do it as well, you know? Like, we, we got to, like, start considering. We, we always like, ah, that would never happen. That's a 1% chance. Yeah, a lot more of those 1% chances are, are, you know, are actually happening. Yeah, um, because what exactly what he's saying, that it we're, we're being incorporated into the system more and more and being specialized into very small roles. And then within that system, the 1% becomes more commonly spread out across a general population. Yeah, yeah. You know, after hearing all this, you know, I, I realize we really have to change our Twitter profile. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really Japan at this point, is it? Yeah, I, a lot of conspiracy here. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that it's not necessarily conspiracy, you know, just because it's not on, you know, it's not CNN, oh, it's yeah. not Fox. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, I. Uh, you're right. You're not saying that, yeah, this killed Kennedy, but, but it is kind of a, this sobering reality that people are bringing up that we tend to kind of brush aside. Yeah. And I'm, I don't exist in a mainstream. 
I don't. So for me, when I hear um, people say like, oh, the Mueller report, I'm, you know, that's for me, that's like a, something else that I don't really connect with. Or even when people talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, the news in, in, in Japan as well, um, yeah, yeah. Know, from a repetitive point of view. I don't know. So anyways, I'm not sure how to say that. No, no, no. It's okay. But yeah, um... so I, I would say... I would say that the conspiracy. If I was going to say conspiracy, I would. I would. It would sound more like. Um, uh, so that's why everybody's out to get you, man, and you you can't trust anybody. So we have to be like Ted. Like that would be for me pushing the conspiracy. But I'm just listening no. to um, somebody uh, like a voice to see what they were trying to say, so then I can either agree or disagree with what they were saying. Yeah, and I guess uh, the other thing is. People nowadays are making predictions about the future, and a lot of those we're kind of brushing off. And it's, I think, by bringing up points uh, from the past, even though you know it was a, a convicted terrorist, yeah, don't just ignore it. Don't just brush it aside, saying it could never happen. Or how about this? Why do yeah. we why do we give so much credit to computer models that are constantly wrong, as we've seen with the COVID? You know, flatten the curve, sure. and then the real realistically, the cases never reached anything like they were saying. Okay. Um, so we can we can look at computer models which don't have a human voice on them and kind of go, okay, then let's do that. But if somebody says something based on an interpretation of data and facts and what they see the future will be like with an mm -hmm. expert opinion, we look at that person and call that person a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, um, but that's a slippery slope as well. Where do you stop with that? Because, I mean, it's used in all sorts of things, um, um, and um, like vaccinations, um, climate change, like all of those things. You don't want to totally disregard it either. And mm. it's again, it, we're we're very binary. It's like it's very all or nothing. It's it's not a take science sometimes with a grain of salt kind of um, reception. Yeah, and then okay. Well, we I think we got a caller coming in. Maybe okay. okay. We're gonna get Fwad from from Kyoto All Protocol right. on the horn here on the blower, calling in from Kuala Lumpur. Fwad from Kyoto Protocol coming right up. Are you All are right. you ready to grill him? Yeah, let's do this. I love that we started this conversation with Megan the Stallion and finished with uh, the Unabombers. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what we do. I think we should leave Fouad out of the Unabomber conversation. How's that? Okay. All right. Unabomber over. Oh, wait. I, I'm going to connect this back to Japan. So okay. how is this it. Japan yeah. web podcast? Because yes. I was listening to the Unabomber's manifesto in Japan. Fair enough. Yes. Japan. What? <laughs> Here we go. And joining us now is the super awesome rock star from Kuala Lumpur, head singer of Kyoto Protocol and chief writer, Mr. Fouad. Fouad, welcome to the podcast. Thank Fouad, you very, welcome. very much. Thank you. Thank you, Matt and Tom. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, very humbled by your, by your very, very kind words. I, I don't really see myself as a rock star, but if you do, hey, who am I to judge, right? Well, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, Kyoto Protocol is one of my top five go-tos and has been for the past five years. Wow. That, that, is, that is high praise, and I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a, coming from a fellow mu musician, that means a lot, you know? Well... Um, it, I'm actually happy to say that because I, I have fewer and fewer chances to say so these days. 
Well, I mean, there are only five, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. All right. We'll stop blowing smoke up your ass. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're, of course, uh, in the middle of, I would say we're kind of moving into the tail end of the uh, coronavirus lockdown um, or the possibility of it being a tail end. Uh, and of course, Fouad, you are in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I was looking on some Malaysian newspapers today and yesterday about how things are being handled. Um, couldn't really, it didn't, I couldn't really find anything other than just the benefits and of the, of the lockdown or how you can wash your hands or something like that. Kind of this very general motherly, like some, somebody's, I'm a five-year-old and somebody's mother is talking to me. Um, what's going on in Malaysia with the, with the COVID and do you, do you call it the Chinese flu? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, first of all, you hit the nail on the head when you said, uh, motherly statements because, uh, well, those have been going around. I, I don't think it's unique to Malaysia, but I, I do feel quite incensed by the amount of motherhood statements that have been here in Malaysia in terms of wash your hands, do this, do that, it's all good for you. Um, did you know that at one point, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, at that particular stage of lockdown, I don't know, code amber or whatever code it was, uh, it was compuls uh, compulsory to wear a mask out outdoors. It was compulsory. Yeah. We were advised compulsory. to, and I did it yeah. in the grocery store out of respect to other people. But when I was going for walks along the roads, I, I stopped. Exactly. And it was fine. Yeah. The thing is, you've, you've got to leave it to people to eventually take care of themselves. We can't be depending on the government to keep babying everybody. You know, at some point, people have to accept the consequences of their actions. I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not going down the path where I'm saying lockdown was was completely unwarranted, but it did feel exactly as you said, there was a great deal of uh, babying um, when it came to Malaysia's approach. Now, um, if you violated the, yeah. the mask rule, what would happen to you? A fine. How and much? The thing is, uh, about... Uh, a thousand ringgit, what is that? 300 yen? Okay. Yeah. Okay, some, so some in Japan, Japan, that would be the price of a mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, is that is it really that expensive over there? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't know if it, it everything quite translates, like buying power, it, it, but but yeah, it just hit me. I was like, oh, wow, how about that? Right. The uh, fine is actually the price of a mask. Oh, I think, yeah. uh, Flod, uh, I think you mean uh, 30,000 yen. Or three hundred dollars. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, okay. sorry. that's what All I right. meant. Yeah, I forgot to add the two zeros <laughs> at the back. Yeah, we, you're right. That would be an expensive mask. <laughs> yeah, that's the Louis yeah, Vuitton mask. That sounds a bit better. Yeah, that's right. I, I keep um, what do you call dividing by three, but not adding the two zeros at the back. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So that's a very hefty fine. That is pretty hefty, and the thing is, the the probability of you getting caught if you were to be out and about was pretty high. There were roadblocks all around. Uh, the thing is, in Malaysia, no one really goes on foot or commutes that much. Um, and you can imagine with, with all of this going on, a lot of less people were inclined to take public transport. Uh, but instead, a lot of people were driving their cars 
and not that driving here is that uh, cheap in the first place. Um, yeah, we've, mm. we've got a bit of a messed up. <laughs> uh, we're, we're a bit of a messed up experiment over here, uh, but we're trying our best. But yeah, literally, um, I could not drive maybe about three or four kilometers without seeing a roadblock. And wow. you had to wear a mask really? yeah. in your car? In your car, you have to wear a mask. That's so you see, ridiculous. Exactly. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff like that. Um, I saw a what, news report of a guy who was wearing a mask in his car and he, he passed out because he wasn't breathing enough clean air and crashed oh his God, car. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. And at the supermarket, there were these um, – uh, okay, what was good was I think uh, in a sense that overreach uh, from the officials uh, – immediately inculcated in a very fast way. Malaysians are, uh, can be very stubborn. So it's very good to see that at such a fast speed, uh, people are very well aware, well, most people were very well aware of um, social distancing, you know, not like uh, cozying up too close when it when you're in queue, uh, staying one meter apart when, when you're waiting to go into the supermarket. Um, so I, I guess that, that that part was good. Um, but mm -hmm. as you pointed out and, and the examples that I gave, there, there were quite a lot of uh, instances of uh, ridiculousness. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I know in the States, it was kind of ridiculous in one uh, one direction and then the kind of totally reverse positions regarding masks. At one point, people were kind of pariahs for wearing masks because they're like, you're spreading disease because they're and then after like in two weeks there was a complete switch around where everybody was getting beaten up or pulled off buses if they weren't wearing a mask it, it's every country is it's basically its own human experiment isn't it yeah yeah well th th that was very interesting to know i mean uh I, there's that new thing about some of those states and the the rallies right or, or protests yeah about, about freedom yeah. Um, the U.S. is its own unique experiment because I think sometimes they they have to do really strict measures because they have to take into effect the kind of the lowest common denominator and they have to adjust how strict they are for those people. Well, right. these people definitely won't do it. So we have to put stricter measures. We can't just ask people. Japan is its own entity that way, too, where more people would just listen to a recommendation, I think. And, so, and that's very good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, essentially, maybe the 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 defining difference mm -hmm. would be culture. I guess. Right? Yeah. And that takes a while to develop. Uh, it's it's a similar story here. We I, I think uh, as you mentioned, some yeah. of these strict rules were probably put in place to cater for the the LCD. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I think. Above all of this, if we're talking about countries and, and their response to the coronavirus, I'm really glad that we do have places like Japan and South Korea yeah, where you see a successful battle against the disease, against the spread of the disease, without having to resort to anything draconian, without mm. the suggestion that authoritarianism is the way to beat a pandemic. Because... In the early stages, and it did, obviously it started in China, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. and China was one of the first to get out. I, I, I saw that as a function of time, yeah. but there was a lot of narrative going around that was suggesting that that was a function of, uh, you know, 
have the benefits of an authoritarian government. Right. Yeah. yeah. I find it so strange that people are using draconian in a positive way. It's like, yeah, it was draconian. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, that's you say draconian. You don't say draconian. You downward <laughs> intonation. Down. It's down. Bad. Yeah, Not good. Bad, bad. Nice. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I was glad to see that, you know, Japan was one of those examples of if you have that culture and if you inculcate this um, conscientiousness, really, about other people. And I think Matt pointed out something very good. He said he did it out of respect for the other people. Even if you know that scientifically, mm -hmm. those kind of masks aren't going to stop you from from getting a virus, they're not going to do the trick scientifically, right? Mm, yeah. But it... it uh, in terms of what it does from a social perspective, it's good. And uh, yeah. we participate in society and we, we have to uh, be aware of that. If you want the benefits of society, then you've got to be aware of what society needs from you. Well, it was interesting, too, because when the first um, scientific reports in uh, like Western countries that said the masks didn't work um, came out, I think they were saying it reduced the possibility – so minimally that it wasn't worth it. But if you consider a whole group of people like in a train and everyone is wearing a mask, then it starts to become noticeable. It becomes a noticeable effect. But the problem is you have to have that kind of group thinking. You have to have where it's like everybody kind of respects each other enough to do that. So yeah, it did work out well for a country like Japan. So, um, and thankfully so, because um, maybe like every country is going to suffer an economic backlash. Maybe Japan's isn't as bad as, for example, um, the U.S., where they're saying it's like it's like the Great Depression from you know what close to a hundred years ago. Um, oh, the Spanish yeah. flu. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So. I have one more thing to add on to that in re regarding Japan's response to the COVID-19 is that there is a very um, strong culture of cleaning. Um, everything yeah. is always being cleaned. And if you're always wiping surfaces that a virus can land on, the odds of that virus being able to spread only decreases. So there are cleaners everywhere and everybody's cleaning everything all the time. So that is one reason I believe that the virus was man managed like it was a, how, how we say, prepare your immunity, you know, so you don't catch yeah. something. That's kind of what yes. Japan's society uh, does to its cities to maintain a, a, a standard of cleanliness to them. That's an excellent point. That's an yeah. excellent point. I, I think if before you looked up Malaysia in the past two days, uh, if you were looking at Malaysia as a tourist, one of the things that they warn you about is the horrible standard of cleanliness in our public restrooms. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one good thing that came out of this, this awareness about hygiene to Malaysia. And yeah, uh, it, it's a very good example that the whole world can learn from, you know, hygiene. Yeah, yeah the, the toilets in the convenience stores are uh, perfectly clean. They're, they're even warmed. They have warmers on them. Yeah. Fantastic. Good on a winter morning. <laughs> yeah. So, Fouad, regarding um, music and what the COVID-19 has done to the live live scene i imagine it's totally obliterated everything and what how what has the effect been on um on kyoto protocol or uh doing live shows and all that um there was definitely a disruption to us uh thankfully it's not as bad as the disruption to us uh, 
it's, it's not as bad as those musicians who are full-time. And my heart really goes out to them. Uh, the five of us, we all have day jobs. So, um, oh, and all of us are still employed. So, you know, count on lucky stars for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were supposed to play some big shows. There were festivals that were supposed to happen in March. And man, in hindsight, <laughs> yeah. March yeah. Is, is really when, when, when shit hit the, hit the fan. <laughs> um, they were thinking that, that that may have been postponed until December. Uh, at this point, I that's really touch and go. I, I did hear rumors that a ministry kind of said that all public events when it comes to entertainment will be off for the rest of the year. Mm, so that's, wow. that's quite... That's, that's a big blow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's the downward spiral that carries on from here, right? Um, musicians are one thing. For us, people are trying to find the new way of doing things. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Either doing online, live streams, getting donations from there. Uh, we've, we don't really see the need to collect donations, especially at a time where people's pockets may be tighter than usual. So mm, yeah. we're not going to go down that route only because uh, we can afford to. And if people had spare dollar, uh, probably other musicians are in a more dire state and they need it more. So uh, we're not going down that collect, collecting uh, donations route. Uh, what we are doing is trying to be a bit more active uh, in the online space. Uh, we are trying to ratchet up our, our YouTube notoriously mm. quite lagged behind our other <laughs> social media. You know, as, as a band, you come out with a music video, what, once in twice a year, maybe? Mm-hmm, yeah. Three times a year, if you're very industrious, that's a lot of work. It is, <laughs> yeah. The music video. And, that, you know, you've got to write the song first, even before the video is done. And the video is such an endeavor and it costs money. Um, so, we, you know, now that people are, seem to be re- receptive to these more home-style videos, they, they kind of like the idea of seeing their musicians locked up at home, I guess. <laughs> like, hey, you're towing the line exactly as I am. And, uh, you know, if you don't have such a fancy house that you're making people uh, hate you on the basis of inequality, <laughs> <laughs> which is happening a lot with the, uh, with the Western celebrities, I gather, yeah, actually, that that was it. That Imagine video, I think, was one. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it to be honest, but yeah, I, I only watched reaction videos to it by comedians that just like ripped it to shreds. Gosh, <laughs> these celebrities but, uh, are so yeah. self-important, aren't they? And yeah, and yeah. their output yeah. without a team of experts around them is pure garbage. yeah yeah so uh, we're trying to avoid you know the pure garbage route Um, (laughs) (laughs) well that's where you and i differ (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, so it's really about refreshing some of our back catalog and uh, at the same time trying to work on new stuff experimenting and just seeing how the algorithm is is going to try and favor us or not or what is the best way to reach people uh, with, with uh, I guess, some kind of mild success. It's kind of picking back up again. I think, uh, like, if I could share some statistics, I think our subscribers on YouTube were only growing at about 30 per month. Yeah. And last mm. 28 days, we got about 80. So that was, oh, great. Uh, yeah, that, that's a significant pickup. 
Um, and really, this is the unglamorous part of music that a lot of people don't see. Uh, the slog, the, yeah, yeah. the hustle, you know, uh, when it doesn't go viral or whatever that you hope, you need to be coming up with something that's sustainable, something that's long term, something that we can keep banging out at least once in two weeks uh, so that our fans uh, don't forget us. And we're doing a service back to them as well for, for bringing us so far. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the slug is kind of like being a door-to-door -door salesman like online where you're just knocking oh, on everybody's door and be like, uh, would you subscribe? Like, yeah, <laughs> music, this, you know, who are you? Well, we're this band <laughs> who uh, slam, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good analogy. Yeah. It's, it's being a door-to-door -door salesman. <laughs> uh, thankfully, you know, worst case scenario, we put out a shit video, at least 100 people are going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all right. It's it's a hundred doors at, at at one at one sitting, so it's not too bad. No, um, me trying to come for myself. <laughs> I, uh, I I work uh, in promotion for an indie band in Japan, so I, I all everything you're saying is totally like oh yeah, oh yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. I know I feel your pain. Um, and uh, I, I was actually going to ask how hands on you are with your promotion. It's it, uh, so you take care of all of it. Uh, well, or is I it all the band members? All the band members, we, we try to chip in, um, you know, just as personalities differ, mm -hmm. we tend to gravitate towards certain roles. Yeah. Um, obviously, as one of the founders, I, I feel a great more deal of responsibility. Me and the bassist, uh, Shaquille, mm. uh, he's the guy who, who wrote me into this fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I would have been living a simple life, I guess. Just, yeah. Uh, being a fund manager, just <laughs> boring old uh, guy behind the keyboard, I guess. But yeah, uh, now that we're on this trip, uh, and it's been 10 years, yeah, we celebrated yeah. last year in, in November. Congratulations. Uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Uh, we owe a great deal to the people who who supported, our, uh, supported us all this way to keep it going, right? And... Uh, and we owe it to ourselves, really. I, I do think, I know the other guys won't admit to this, but they had other plans. Sure. The other, the other four guys, they had other plans. They, they wanted to move overseas and kind of get away from sometimes the prying motherhood eye of Malaysia. <laughs> uh, they wanted to have a cushy life somewhere else, you know. Um, mm. But they said, no, you know what? We've got something special here and it's special because it happened here. And it could have mm. only have gotten so far because it was here. And if it mm. happened anywhere else, we would have just been a drop in the in the ocean. I have right? a comparison to that, Fouad, because I did leave yeah. um, my home country of Canada and I came to Japan to pursue music. And while I've been oh, able yeah. to find amazing musicians and uh, good scenes to play with, um, being a foreigner in a place like Japan, you're competing as an outsider in an outsider, right? So uh, if I'm a, if I'm in a yeah. if I'm in a in a band that's not a mainstream band. I'm competing against all of the other Japanese bands who are also not in mainstream bands. So mm. to to go to another country and expect so uh, some sort of multifaceted, yeah. it's very multifaceted. But to expect some sort of pipeline to be there for you to climb up through is is almost impossible. Uh, whereas if yeah. you're in Malaysia, you're you're native born. You you might know some people who know people who can give you a leg up or introduce you to some people in the business. Uh, and then because you're you're from there, you're able to do there. So there's a very big difference between 
growing up in a country in inside of an entertainment system and going to another country that's pretty closed, to be honest, such as Japan, and expect to climb up through the systems uh, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I work with a Japanese band that was until very recently touring uh, New York uh, and um, basically the Northeast uh, region of the States. And they, they're having a great time. I'm not saying that, but they're not living a posh lifestyle by any means. Yeah. They're living hand to mouth, the show to show kind of. And it, they had, you know, they're accounting uh, mainly they're, they're living off their savings that they had um, stored up until that point. So, yeah. Um, actually, uh, I think part of that is, um, they're in a genre now that is good for small venues, but not really that's, uh, it's kind of disappearing from the charts and that's, uh, rock music. And I wanted to ask you, is it difficult to be a rock band these days when there's so much more like dance and R and B and hip hop and electronic acts? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. I think. It's a global question right now in the yeah, industry, right? Is rock dead? Um, yeah. And uh, I, I wish I had a very simple answer for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even we, it keeps us up. It, it keeps us up at night, right? We, we yeah. think about what is our future, uh, doing what we do, um, and and um, it's really tough. I feel like we just we just keep trying different things we keep iterating with the formula and i think we are a bit fortunate because in malaysia there is still a bit of a rock scene yeah yeah i noticed uh, you could still yeah. pack out these but uh, as you said smaller venues yeah which was why what happened with rockaway was a festival that was supposed to happen in march was such a shame yeah because uh, rockaway what was it the last time that they had it three years ago they had this reunion of this legendary Malaysian band. Um, in effect, you could have called them Malaysia's Nirvana, I guess. Oh, nice. <laughs> they had broken up. Nobody shot themselves in the head with a shotgun. So, oh, thank God. Know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reunion was on the cards. Courtney and it happened. It. <laughs> <laughs> the reunion was on the cards. And, you know, you had, what, like a 20,000 crowd watching uh, Butterfingers? Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, as the closing act, you know? Yeah, So yeah. that was fantastic to see that um, even alongside foreign acts, I think they had Third Eye Blind playing the, the same festival back then. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. a major, major label band, yeah. Yeah, and, and to have um, Butterfingers upstage them, you know, <laughs> this was very good to see uh, for, for Malaysia. Of course, since then, a lot of other things have come into play. Uh, but the other thing that I take cognizance of mm -hmm. is that these cycles, I feel, will be going faster and faster. Ah, uh, yeah. You yeah. Know? So hip-hop yeah. yes, hip is here today. Hip-hop is the king today, but it may not be in one or two years even. Yeah, it may not be. It'll be around, I think. It just won't be the dominant genre, I yes. think. Yes, so that dominant genre, as you speak, yeah. is going to be cycling yeah just uh, i don't know it's weird i i feel like um mainstream has coalesced into this great one mind hive mentality when it yeah. comes to music yeah it's formulaic and yeah whatever works everybody's gonna pile on kind of thing yes yeah um have you considered getting about, face tattoos 
not quite because you know when the uh, when the season changes, it's going to be a bit tough to get that off. <laughs> when the pretty boy clean shaven look comes back into vogue, uh, yeah. then I'll I'll be in deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a handsome man. Come on now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, yeah, but these uh, face tattoos. Uh, that was a very interesting twist, and it's so funny. It's uh, we saw shades of it in in the black community, in the black rapping community, and mm-hmm. then it somehow uh, spilled over into the white rapping community. Yeah, and um, it's a matter of it, time. <laughs> yeah, it was a matter of time, I suppose. You're right, and uh, when it got to there when it had got to that stage, then I was like, that looks ridiculous. It really does. It really looks like that guy who fell asleep at a house party (laughs) and a bunch of the mates just took a black marker pen and just started doodling on his face. (laughs) That's what it looked like. I never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) What started off as wearing your experiences on your face, right? Hardships and the people that you killed and uh, who knows what else on your face just kind of like looked as if people were just drawing a multitude of penises (laughs) penis face (laughs) I I would be very surprised if I would if I went to google penis face (laughs) and I didn't find a white rapper (laughs) no I'm saying that is my favorite white rapper (laughs) oh my god Um, but you know, lightheartedness aside, uh, hopefully it does swing back to the rock. Um, rock does swing back into favor. I, I think it will. Uh, just as you know, a lot of retro stuff mm-hmm. just goes in cycle and it tends to go back in vogue. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that we had that uh, that girl who was either anorexic or, or druggy and she died. Oh, yeah. uh, Amy Winehouse. Winehouse. Yeah, 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 that's the one. And she kind of had that old school vibe and you know guitars mm. were a big part of that as well yeah right? yeah definitely um yeah and so i agree they it's, would come back in some shape or form i guess you know sorry 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 no no off. not, at, off. Off. not yeah. at all um yeah no i just um i, I mean i think if there's a, a bar scene there's always going to be a rock scene it's just um the way uh like music is presented to us nowadays it's uh on so many different mediums i don't know if it favors uh rock as much but i think it also is um kind of a sign of the times of um what is it a, a sign of the times of the general public discontent sometimes and um rock a lot of times is it's either tied to kind of a decadent lifestyle or or just a general anger right and i think people are angry and if you know rock music i think eventually will tap into it again yeah that, yeah it, that, that's actually Man, that was uh, when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a de- decadent lifestyle, or it's yeah. angry. That yeah, was two extremes. Yeah, and then immediately in my head, I was like, "Oh yeah, rock and roll is either Guns and Roses or Pearl Jam." Then there's right. no between. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or I was. Yeah. So it, it could be like a like Motley Crue or or like um, or the Ramones or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Such yeah. a range of things with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, I was wondering if I could ask a little bit about 
kind of the history of the band, if that was okay. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know, what was the first major event that you performed in that you kind of looked out into the audience and was like, oh, the game has changed. We've, you know, we've definitely moved up in the world. Ooh, uh, that, that's a very good question. The <laughs> first thing that sprung to mind, it yeah. may not have been the first time, but the first thing that sprung to mind, so I guess, you know, subconsciously there was an importance that I had attached to this if it was the first thing that, that jumped out at me. Yeah. Uh, there was this American band that came to town. Yeah. Uh, they were pretty big at the time, MGMT. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. So they were playing uh, the Equestrian Club, <clears throat> which, you know, besides the smell of manure, was a pretty, <laughs> mm -hmm. was a pretty rocking uh, venue. You could fit uh, 10,000 people. Oh, wow. At that yeah. place, and we were Not asked bad. to be the opening act. Yeah, um, and it was our first time. We were a young band. We were what two years old, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So we really didn't know what to expect. Uh, we just thought, okay, and and we were very worried because our music we felt was quite different to MGMT's. Mm, yeah, uh, and not that we wanted to be exactly the same. Right, you know right. I mean? That's also yeah. a weird show to watch. It's just you've sure. got to be palatable. <clears throat> right, the fans That's... that came to see them would they enjoy your music? Yeah, exactly. And then would we need to tailor what we did to suit them? And then we just uh, thought, ah, oh, fuck it, let's just do us. And if people yeah. like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. Then you know, just uh, we went out there. And there were 3,000 people, and that was the largest crowd we've ever played to at that point. Yeah. And uh, fuck, the nerves really got to us, uh, but we released it through playing one heck of a show, oh, playing fantastic. our hearts out. Yeah, play, playing, uh, especially that angry stuff when you're nervous, the angry yeah. stuff, really, the Pearl Jam stuff, not the Guns N' Roses stuff, <laughs> <laughs> comes out really good. Like, like it's yeah. very convincing. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. definitely a turning point. Awesome. Oh, uh, in terms of not just, and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you like all 3,000 people loved it. It was a fairy tale and, you know, happily ever after. Yeah. Um, there were people kind of going, oh, we can hear it. Like people going like, oh, get off the stage or like oh, MGMT, like that kind of thing. And yeah. that's fine. It didn't matter to us. What mattered more was after we were done and we just uh, chilling out backstage, the band came to say hello. Nice. Uh, we had a bunch of people buy our CDs on that day and they wanted uh, to get signatures and it was the fledgling times of social media and, you know, uh, it kind of all worked together at the same time. That was good. Since then, mm -hmm. we had like a mini reputation for being the the go-to reliable opening band. That's a if, big one though, being reliable. <laughs> <laughs> People um, underestimate that, uh, undervalue that, I think, too. Thank you so much for realizing. And it's because you're in the biz. A little bit, yeah. Just to right? tell, but yeah. That you you have an appreciation for this. Yeah. That being reliable is is very, very important. You, yeah. It's an understated importance, I would say. Because you have a lot of bands who are not reliable, really. <laughs> Just to put it simply. <laughs> and it gives a lot of people a lot of headache. Um, yeah. 
you know, we were so refreshed when we were when we were starting to play shows in Japan. Our first yeah. tour, second tour. Yeah, I can imagine. Everybody's on time, and you were like, "Wow, yeah. this is wonderful!" And the setup is so good. We we do sound check so in such an organized manner, and we're done early. We can actually go grab a bite after. We we actually have a bit of our own time. Yeah. Um, all the bands meet each other. We try to form at least a base level of camaraderie before the show begins. And after the show, there's this due respect to each other. You know, it's, you don't have that in Malaysia. It's not culture. It, it uh, definitely isn't. Mm. Yeah. And I think also reliable from the point of view that <clears throat> if we needed to tailor a show from uh, the first time aside, if we needed to tailor a show to make it suit a bit more, we were willing to do that. We were willing to marry our identity mm-hmm. with making a, a show that's suitable as, as, a, as, a, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So you were more concerned about how overall people would enjoy the show. Yes, because, yeah. you know, as, I guess as a semi-business person, I came from the point of view that, look, yeah. they're doing a business. Yeah. And if we're going to make ourselves marketable or, or right. yeah, it's a, a band that you can bank on, then we want to be there in terms of making your production easy. We want to be there in terms of making your night easy, the, mm-hmm. the flow of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You want us to play 20 minutes? You want us to play 30 minutes? Yeah, no questions asked. Boom, bang, bang, boom, we're out. We're our own crew. We don't have our own crew members. It's good exercise. Everybody needs that once in a while. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. That's another big one, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Oh, cool. Um, I had one question. Um, when you were kind of starting and making moves and getting approached to do the bigger shows, is there anything that you wish you knew then that you know now? Like be, be, maybe promotion, signing a contract, organizing organizing a show or, or networking, anything like that? Yeah, just to pop in here. Some, uh, oh, sorry. One of the things yep. that uh, some people like to listen to this podcast for is uh, maybe advice or um, approaches that they might benefit from by hearing somebody who's done it before yeah oh very cool so i hope people you know take away that being reliable thing as as uh, something to look forward yeah, to yeah <laughs> and uh this next point about other uh, things that we could have done better tons yeah tons of stuff down from the routing of your pedal board just to make sure that your cables are all in check to yeah. always keep uh, a can of contact cleaner just in case shit goes wrong and then exactly. always, okay. yeah, always have a backup plan, you know, like uh, Boss is a fantastic Japanese company and they've just come up with a wireless system. I was like, shut up and take my money. Yeah, It's a wireless system where if you happen to run on a battery, and uh-huh. this is so Japanese of them, you shouldn't run on a battery because you have 11 hours of gig time. Yeah, on a full charge. That's incredible. Nice, Who the hell yeah. plays an eleven-hour show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even if that fucks up, yeah, they have a little slot on the side of the unit, of the wireless unit, mind you, where you can just plug a cable in, and you're good to go. Nice. They have a plan yeah. B built into that stuff. At you know harness technology, that I wish we had this stuff back then. It would avoid it. It would have avoided a lot of heartache. Yeah, yeah. You know? about, mm, definitely. How about things like um, either uh, networking or promotion? Is there anything where it was like, damn, I wish we, you know, jumped on that earlier? 
Oh, def- definitely that as well. Um, okay. You know, and, and that's actually the hardest part. Yeah, I If agree. I could think back about going to uh, Japan for the first time, yeah. nobody, <laughs> we didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happened to know a guy called Mike Hanna by yeah. our lucky graces. Um, right, we know Mike. We were, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stand-up guy, stand-up yeah. guy. Uh, we were applying for the same festival in Taiwan. Mm. And then, you know, there were, I think there were hundreds or maybe even thousands of bands that were trying to apply for that same festival. Yeah. They had opened it up online and, you know, so bands from Japan, bands from Malaysia were, mm-hmm. were, were trying to get in. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd just check out the competition, just uh, see how it was going. Mm-hmm. Checked out this band called the Mutekis. Nice. Um, I, I, you know, the love of rock and roll just overtook my, <laughs> my uh, competitive bone. I was, I, I just had to put a comment in there. I was like, dude, this is so sick. And uh, little did I know, I think I hadn't checked our comments at the time. Yeah. And there was already one from Mutekis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it was. Wow. We, we formed this mutual appreciation society. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And this is the point that I was trying to get to. Yeah. Is that um, I think if we approached it from, if I had realized that mutual appreciation can go a really long way, yeah. uh, we may not have been able to hire a publicist or, or get people to charge. It, we couldn't. It was, we were in the band and we didn't have the means to, right? Right. Definitely, it puts you a leg up if you can do it. Definitely, mm, yeah. you can. But if you can't, mutual appreciation goes a long way. Yeah. Spending time on, and, and you don't have to be a whore about it. You don't have to be a door-to-door salesman right. all the way. You yeah. can find a way that, that feeds your own soul. Mm. So, yeah, don't always look at it as it's just the competition. Don't be, like, stingy with the compliments with it. If yeah. you enjoy it, say so. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. Uh, make friends. Get out there. Because, you know, time is going to pass by so fast, especially like if you're multi-hatting it, if you've also got a day job and you're trying to tour at the same time, yeah. uh, 10 years is going to pass and you're, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, whoa, what the fuck have I just done? I hear you, buddy. I hear you. <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, the one thing that you will have to hang on to at the end mm-hmm. is these relationships that you make. Uh, the, the, yeah. the supreme blessing of us going to Japan is not that, oh, we can boast to everybody, oh, you know, we, we toured in Japan five times, we played all these shows, you know, la da 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 we made money. Fuck all that shit. <laughs> what matters more than anything else is the connections, the real connections that you make with people. And if, any, if not for anything else, I find that being in an independent band mm-hmm. and fighting this fight I'm not going to say if it's a good fight or the bad fight, <laughs> but you meet the realest people. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Great words of wisdom there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Nice. Oh, All right. Hey, uh, Fua, do yeah. you have five more minutes? Yeah, I, 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 I'm actually really enjoying myself. I didn't even notice that it was <laughs> oh, <laughs> already awesome. spent 40 all this minutes, time. dude. We've, we've been yakking it up for 40 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, this has been I'm really fun. I'm good to go, man. I'm good to go. So speaking, cool. speaking yeah. of, uh, of real, when, I, when we first started, I was talking about reading the newspapers and not really getting a, a complete, accurate view on what's going on in Malaysia regarding the COVID-19. I know that you do, you said that you do a lot of uh, economic work, right? I, I remember. Yes. So what's going on 
in the Malaysian economy right now? Like, what's on your radar? Um, what's what's going good? What's going bad? I know that there's the the idea of uh, China's expanding or, or relationships with Indonesia or internally. Um, I know it's a bit of a, a broad question, but it's it's because I don't know what to ask. <laughs> Uh, no worries. I think, honestly, what you're asking is what everybody is asking of their own country mm. and asking of the global economy at large. Supply chains. Times, right? It's, it, times are just so uncertain. Nobody knows how the hell this is going to turn out. Uh, what we do know is that it's going to be pain in the short term. It's definitely yeah. going to be pain. And in Malaysia the severity of the lockdown means that in line with that, there's a correlation with the severity of that economic downturn that we're going to have. Uh, it's the first that we've had in a long time. When the world was going through the global financial crisis of 08, 09, we actually weren't affected that badly. In all sense and purposes, it was kind of a V-shaped recovery for us. This time around, it would be, it would be hazardous to assume that we will be seeing a V-shaped recovery. So some people say V-shaped, some people say um, U-shaped, some people say checkmark-shaped, but then other people say L-shaped with a long series of underscores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, my personal belief is we're going to be heading to maybe like a, a skewed U, I suppose. Oh, I, I, I'm thinking, the scientist to me is thinking U. Mm. But the... Um, you know, being a bit more exposed to economics over the past, what, 12 years, uh, working as an analyst slash uh, fund manager, I'm seeing it a bit more as the the, this, the second upright um, line of the U is going to be very slanted towards the right. Meaning that mm. I think people have fear in them. Mm. That's what we're starting to see here in Malaysia. They actually relaxed the lockdown measures uh, this week, this week itself was the first week of the more relaxed lockdown measures. So all of those roadblocks that I was talking about, uh, you'd, you'd see one every two kilometers. Now you'd only see one maybe every 10 kilometers. So it's a lot more relaxed. People can move around. People can go back to work. And it's up to the officers to uh, manage that situation by themselves. Right? It's up to whether do you want to keep 100% of your workforce at the office. Are you able to have at least 50% working from home? Can your business still continue doing that? So all those kinds of questions are being asked. But one thing's for sure, when they announced this extended, uh, well, sorry, uh, the relaxed lockdown, mm -hmm. there was a petition going around in Malaysia that they didn't want the relaxed lockdown. They wanted the strict lockdown to continue. Yeah, the, in, it's draconian. Don't you get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going back to that again. Fucking love it. <laughs> so in six weeks, Malaysians developed a, a Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, mm. the world did. This fear of yeah, this fear of oh no, I don't want people in my backyard. Remember how it was? I don't want uh, the the rich going. I don't want poor people in my backyard. Now the rich are basically going or the ones who can afford it, really, are the ones that are going, I don't want people to go out and spread it. Even though I can stay at home, I can afford to stay at home, I don't want you going out and, and making our cases worse and, and, and stuff like that. I just want this to be over as, pass, as fast as possible without realizing that there are people living hand to mouth. Yeah. And it's yeah. two months without income. People don't get that nuance. 
you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, they, they always say we're in the same boat. They're not in the same boat. No. You're in the same sea. You're in the same storm. You have different boats. Yeah. We're all in That's this the together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a leaky raft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of compare it to these, uh, like somebody who, who runs up to the top of their castle, uh, plunges their feet into giant bowls of caviar, opens up the windows and starts screaming at all of the people suffering below them. It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Um, so yeah. my understanding of the Malaysian economy is very limited, but one thing that I know is that you have um, the balance between Singapore and, and China. Um, are you hearing anything about um, financial investments between those two countries or and in addition to that what about the supply chains and supply lines of, of goods within Malaysia um, Malaysia is very much tapped into the supply lines uh, maybe let, let, let's talk about the investor relations or, or this kind of FDI uh, foreign direct investment uh, relations between China and the rest of the world right yeah uh, and specifically in the context of Southeast Asia I think Southeast Asia does a very good job of towing the line on both sides. Hmm. They are doing the, uh, they will, they will entertain or flirt with the Chinese money while still trying to retain a great deal of sovereignty. Hmm. And by, uh, and the way that they do that is by flirting with the rest of the world money. Hmm. So um, I do believe Southeast Asia does that better than a lot of other Asian countries and a lot of others say, well, obviously Africa is, is, is a poster child for, for mm. the exploitation of such, right? Mm, and yeah, yeah. Sri Lanka comes out as another example of, of, of the exploitation. <clears throat> In Malaysia, we were at risk of heading down the uh, Sri Lanka path until oh, you mean the, the Chinese investments that end up taking over your ports and things like that? Yeah. Okay, uh, the One Belt, One Road <clears throat> Initiative. <clears throat> That's right. In in the name of trying to solidify, yeah, a, a Chinese a, a, a supply chain that's favorable to China, right? Yeah. That's why it's all of these infrastructure assets, the ports, the the, the airports, and and the highways, and all this kind of telecoms. Stuff. Yeah, telecoms. That, that that's that's very big. I think Malaysia is in on that already. Most of our infrastructure is Huawei. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's it's tough to find. <clears throat> they they make it a lot cheaper than a lot of other guys. Of course. And the, the products are <laughs> are good. And you know, yeah, when you say of course, it's it's true because you know there is a different motivation to the funding. It's not necessarily one hundred percent profit driven, right? They're no. playing the long game. Yeah, very and what long, the game. long game is 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 uh, opaque and scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And and then moving on to the. Um, talk of supply chains, Southeast Asia is actually a very interesting region because if you add up all the countries inside and the potential in terms of GDP and uh, population growth, it's actually kind of second to China. It's actually Mm. potentially something that will come in ascendancy before India. Really? As an alternative to China. Uh, as an alternative to China, that would be difficult because I don't think uh, it really it will really depend on the Philippines and Indonesia. 
those are the two very crucial building blocks in Southeast Asia. Okay. Um, because countries like Malaysia, we have a small population, only 30 million. We got yeah. lucky. We had oil. We had um, we had gas. Uh, a lot of Japanese gas comes from Malaysia. Yep. A mm, lot of it. Yeah. Um, we have palm oil. Uh, despite what uh, the asshole Europeans are saying, <laughs> palm oil is actually not that bad. Yeah. If you're going to clear a plot of land, right, you'd ideally want to clear the least amount of land that you could, right? If you you're going to need vegetable oils. You're going to need mm -hmm. this kind of oils to... You You take a dart and you close your eyes and you just throw it in a supermarket. 50% chance of hitting something with palm oil inside or something that needs yeah. some kind of seed oil. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But the 16-year-old right? activists are worried about the orangutans. <laughs> <laughs> if they're so worried, they should stop spending money on campaigns uh, trying to save the orangutans <laughs> and just fucking adopt an orangutan. It's so funny how th that's an international conversation about this, but on the ground, we don't see any of these motherfuckers here. <laughs> yeah, they're very... So the supply chains um, as an alter as a as a growing resource. That's a very interesting point. Um, it, it is. Uh, the the thing is, uh, and and sorry, the point I was trying to make was that it really you you do need a co a consumer, a major consumer base, to be able to reroute those. Right. China is changing. China is no longer making clothes. They don't do that anymore. Bangladesh it's and uh, Myanmar. Yeah, it, it's gone to the Bangladesh and Myanmar's, and once those places become too expensive, it's going to move to Africa. Right. Right. Yeah. That's going to be the next grab for 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 commerce. Uh, but in the meantime, Southeast Asia needs its own consumption block. Malaysia, we're very much at the risk of being caught in that middle income trap. Mm, yeah. Like what yeah. happened to Brazil? What's happening to? Um, uh, there was another example that eluded my mind. But essentially, Indonesia is where it's, where it's going to be at. Almost the same population as the United States. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that, actually. <laughs> and an economy that should, if it's managed well, be growing at maybe 6% in the long term. Philippines, another one. Uh, what are we talking about? At least uh, 100 million, maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the Thailands, the Malaysias, the, the Singapore's, don't even talk about Singapore. Singapore is, is just really a middleman, uh, possibly kind of like a mediator, an intermediate hub. So we do have all those building blocks in place to, be, to, to, to participate in our own Southeast Asian supply chain. It's just that it really depends on the fortunes of Indonesia first and uh, Philippines second. Mm. I noticed that um, I used until to, then yes, China is going to be uh, until then China is 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 still going to dominate because everybody's looking at China the consumer now. Uh, yeah. If I can only get one percent of the Chinese to buy my products, I'll be a rich man. Exactly. Uh, How many times have you heard that? Right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Following up on that, um, re regarding uh, unlocking the wealth and the resources to build supply chains, um, thinking about telecoms and all that fintech apps and smartphones are seen as a key resource to accessing the market through the people. Very much so. And Indonesia, as again, that example, uh, has really taken off. So Go I don't know if you're example. Gonna... Yes. Oh, perfect. Oh, you, obviously, you're a man of the know. 
<laughs> and, I, I uh, used to have to research fintech and blockchain technology for um, a telecom executives uh, at one of the major telecoms here in Tokyo. So, Yes, yes. It, it's coming back to me now. I remember you telling me about that. So you definitely know about the Southeast Asian app ecosystem. And you know about Grab yep. and Grab um, painting themselves as What's the Grab? kingmaker. Uh, Grab is uh, that Singaporean company started by Malaysians uh, that essentially made it. Uh, it was it, it was Uber. It was essentially Uber. Hmm. Uh, they were just more quick to localize, uh, more aggressive in in getting their funding, and uh, a major Japanese telecom company invested in it as well. <laughs> That's right. I know. <laughs> I think the one I worked and, at. <laughs> uh, they thought that they had the hold of Southeast Asia cornered until. Uh, Indonesia decided, hey, let's flex a bit of our own muscle. And Gojek came along. And uh, I don't want to say the rest of history, the rest is history, but I will say it's fantastic that Gojek is going to Singapore and giving Grab a run for its money. Yeah. And it's something that we sorely needed because what happened in Southeast Asia was Grab uh, bought out Uber. Uber was having all that scandal and stuff. So they needed to leave and they got paid. They didn't lose money. So they thought, oh, okay, it's a way for us to reduce our footprint, refocus our efforts, uh, and we don't lose money for doing so. And Grab became the only guy. So then prices started going up. So it's good to see that Gojek is coming in. Indonesians have this uh, do or die kind of uh, spirit. And that's going to push Grab a long, long way. A lot of people are waiting for that in terms of deliveries. And as you said, empowering the economy is one thing. But what I love about it is it empowers people. Yeah. And in this lockdown economy, the delivery guy has become our hero. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Wow. Yeah. We don't think about that, huh? And uh, there was this stigma of Malay guys, uh, so sorry, just to give a very quick refresher, Malaysia has three main races. Um, Malays, that's 60%. Um, they were the ones that were living here for a longer time than the others. Uh, the others are the, the Chinese who kind of, uh, they have the finger pointed at them because they, they, they control the commerce and Indians. So the Chinese and Indians came because of the British um, uh, colonization. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have others as well uh, in, in the mix. But the Malays feel that uh, they should control politics and all of that and, and policy because we're the majority race and is controlled by Islam and, and all that jazz. So Malay young men are having it, uh, were having a hard time being marketable and uh, in terms of the job market. Uh, there's a stigma around us that people think that we're lazy. We don't work as hard as the others. We try to find an easy way out where we can. Um, <laughs> we try to hide behind religion and uh, use that to basically naysay anybody else and, and keep ourselves in a cushy position. Uh, when in reality, and, and bear in mind, we have, what, what do you call that thing where uh, you give minorities a chance at the universities and all that? Oh, affirmative action? Uh, imagine affirmative action for the majority race. <laughs> <laughs> it got hijacked into the rich members of that majority race being the ones that benefited the most, and the 99% didn't. 
So what resulted in that is very lopsided. So you have these young boys called Rumpit, R-E-M-P-I-T. And Rumpit culture was kind of looked down upon because you're a no good uh, contributor to society. Um, you're probably the ones who are behind the snatch thefts and all that. And um, you ride a motorbike all day. You don't mm. bother to upskill yourself. You don't bother to make yourself a, a, a what do you call a contributing member to society. And then Grab came along, giving these guys a way to make money. And now they are the heroes of the lockdown. So how things have changed in six months. And of course, they know the city so well and how to get around on bikes. Yeah. And they, and they know they the right deliver. places to flout the laws. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. Like you're not allowed to do like a five lane crossing from a main highway into what was supposed to be a feeder lane. And they just zoom across and they just cut across because it saves them in five minutes. Therefore, you know, in their own way, they're economic geniuses. They understand the need to reduce the input resources as much as possible. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's that, that's the whole thing about this technology is that it's giving them more power to the people in a sense. Yes, yes, I, I'm I'm very glad for that. And you know, you can see the hunger in these guys. The media and and our own preconception had painted these guys as the ones who were lazy and didn't want to contribute to society. When really, when the chips are down and we needed a way to get our economy working. When the chips These are guys locked down. Yeah. yeah. When the <laughs> chips are locked down. Brilliant. You should, you should trademark that. When the chips are locked down, uh, Malaysia is famous for its heavy rains. These guys are riding the, the little Honda 100cc motorbikes in these rains, absolutely drenched. They don't even have raincoats to make sure that the deliveries at least make it there. Maybe not on time, maybe 30 minutes late, but it's understandable. I I can swear that every Malaysian has seen a motorbike just on a straight road, just skid because it was so wet mm. and they just fall down. And that's mm. how heavy the, 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 the rains can be over here. And for them to risk that, because they need to put money on the table for themselves. Yeah, they make, they are the hero. They are the hero. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what? I th- we should probably get going. I could. Uh, I, you should come back on the podcast sometime. I'd like yeah, to, I'd definitely. I'd like to talk to you about AI as well in the banking industry sometime. If that would be cool. Oh yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> and, uh, and rock and roll. And rock and roll. We really we covered a wide spread of, uh, of topics, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> we certainly have. And uh, it, it always is somehow the case when, uh, when, when men and I get together. And I'm, I'm glad that we managed to continue this tradition of just being loose mouth, uh, firing from the hip motherfuckers. Uh, and I'm glad that, Tom, you're one of us as well. That's great. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. This is awesome. I'm looking forward when you come to Japan so we can have a beer together. Oh, dude. Uh, we, we were supposed to come this year, you know? Uh, we were supposed to come this year. It, it's looking really hard to do that, but it'll happen. I'm a firm believer that the sun will rise again. Oh, my God. Pun not intended. <laughs> I was just going to let it wait there, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, let it sink in for a bit. Right? Oh. I am sorely looking forward to that. Yeah. Maybe, awesome. uh, maybe we can come down yeah. there as well sometime, eh? Down oh, to Kuala Lumpur. 
um, Tom had 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 asked, uh, you know, he 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 had uh, commented that he didn't quite know the difference between spending power. It's roughly three to one for what you guys have in Japanese yen Woo! when you come yeah. here. So Ooh, yes. you know, feel free. I will I, I will help you guys set up in terms of what you need in hotels and all that. Most welcome. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah, I love that. All right, it's a uh, summer country. Yeah. It's summer all year round. Um, Fwai nice. from Kyoto Protocol. <laughs> We're going to play Delta Wing on the other side of this interview. Um, people can find that on all of their uh, platforms where they get music. And, of course, the yes. YouTube channel is Kyoto Protocol, the band, not the accord. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And if you're looking for a username on social media, we're, we're uh, Kyoto Band. It's a lot shorter than typing out the whole word Kyoto Protocol. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> It'll be good. in the show notes, nice. everybody. Check it out. Matthew P. and Bigelow.com. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks so much. Cheers, buddy. Peace. Donate to the Japan What Podcast by going to paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. And now we're going to listen to Delta Wing by Kyoto Protocol. This is off of their 2018 release. The pen is mightier, or I'll take the penis mightier for 800, Alex. Captain, we had. 
get some great times up in the sky But the time has come for us to say bye Was always glad to count on you as go captain We had some great times up in the sky But the time has come for us to say bye And that was Delta Wing by Kyoto Protocol. You can pick that up wherever you get your music needs. The Pen Is Mightier is the name of the album by Kyoto Protocol. Yeah, definitely support this band. Uh, Fouad's a great guy. <laughs> and oh, yeah. so like knowledgeable in so many different fields of, uh, of expertise as well. Really interesting interview. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can, I, I like pitching the questions. And even if I'm not really on target, he can still yeah. hit in the batting center, like, boom, hit him out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the, just the transition from indie band to like world economy is affected by the coronavirus and, you know, the effect of China and just like, wow. Like, That's awesome, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Yeah. It was like, oh, boy, I could pretty much change it to any topic i feel like he'd have a an educated opinion on it yeah well there's the benefit of of being a musician but also having a day job after you know you get you get expertise in multiple fields so yeah yeah for sure for sure cool um just want to remind anybody who's listening you can go to matthewpmbigelow.com to get all of your japan what needs and we have new art every week um and make sure to support us there if you're a first-time listener, listen to our uh, back catalog of episodes. We had a lot of interesting opinions, a lot of interesting guests, and um, and some great music. All right. Um, you know what's uh, kind of coincidental about the, that song the, we just played, the Delta Wayne by Kyoto Protocol, oh, yep. is we were talking about travel and going there and coming here and how COVID has has mm-hmm. has really kind of screwed things up some of the lyrics of the song uh the delta wing song was was always glad glad to count on you as co-captain we had some great times up mm-hmm. in the sky but the time has come for us to say bye oh wow prophetic wow <laughs> so was that about the conversation we just had is it about society the economy or is it <laughs> all wrapped up in one flying triangle ahead of the time 
There's so many roads we could go down with that, right? <laughs> well, I know there are, there are indeed so many roads, such as this one. Japan Railway Company <laughs> say many Shinkansen bullet trains are running at less than 10% capacity. The number of people taking domestic flights has also plunged. All Nippon Airways says reservations are down by nearly 95% from a year earlier. Japan Airlines has reported a decline of about 90%. So maybe we can get some cheap flights to Kuala Lumpur, Tom. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I'm down for it. When can you go? What time is it? <laughs> I'm unemployed. <laughs> Quite a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> that sounds like a ama- That sounds amazing. Uh, like, uh, yeah, let's go hang out with uh, a rock icon from Malaysia and, and go find some cheap eats and cheap booze. And yeah, anytime. All right. Mark me down. <laughs> Pretty crazy, though, that... Uh, there's this new flight path that comes over Tokyo. Have you, do you know about it? Have we talked about no. it? I uh, don't think so. Where um, the, the 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 planes used to come in from the ocean side into into Tokyo. Okay. But now yeah, the, and, from three p.m. to seven p.m., if the winds are blowing in a certain way, the planes come above Tokyo. Oh wow! And I live underneath these flight paths, and it's basically two massive planes every minute flying over the city. But the okay. reservations are 95% down. So there's just tons of empty planes flying over the city. What's the noise level like? Mm, it's pretty annoying. If, if we're working, yeah. nobody would know or care. But because everybody's not working at the moment because of the COVID, you just... But they fly right over the Olympic Village. I mean, there's the risk of terrorism, which is, you know, everybody's thinking about. Like, I hope that thing doesn't fall out of the sky, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, these things that nothing ever, you know, doesn't go wrong with them, you know? The idea is that the government can, they they managed to lease out some of the airspace uh, that is occupied by the United States Air Force. Oh, okay. So that they can feed in about 30,000, 33,000 more flights a year into Tokyo. 30,000. That's a lot of, that's a lot of noise, frankly. (laughs) I know. It's, yeah, not everybody's happy about it. Yeah. uh, Well, it'll come to a head at one point or another, one way or another, I guess. Man. I had so much prepared for today's show, but that interview yeah. with Fouad and the quality of the call was so good. We can just skip it and move it to next week. What do you think? That sounds great. Yeah. I think uh, our um, our listeners are quite saturated with knowledge about uh, a variety of topics, from, with, thanks to Fouad. With zero insight. With zero insight. On, on <laughs> our part. We fulfilled our promise. Yeah. We can't... I think Fouad provided all the insight, actually. The guest is the guest. When we say no insight guaranteed, it's the host that offers no yeah. insight, not the guest. Yeah. We uh, we offer no insurance that there will not be some accidental insight. I'm not smart enough to censor people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what insight is. How can I censor it? Yeah, it just happens. And later, I'm like, was that insight? Am I reneging on my promise? Uh, I'll just recalibrate that promise to make it about me and you. Yes. Exactly. Yes. We're learning from the leaders of the world. Oh, co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody uh, do you have anything well, else for today tom or uh actually i didn't have anything um yeah uh support toppers support tease lounge support the cheaper music scene that's that's what i'd like to end on all right and support us at matthewpmbigelow.com don't forget to like and subscribe we're available on all the platforms people 
Thank you for listening and stay safe. wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. Mommy!